0: First Chronicles chapter 29, that's going to be the passage that we will mostly be in today. It's page 356 in those pew Bibles, so if you could go ahead and open up your Bibles, we're going to begin. Before or as, I guess, uh, we begin, let me remind you of what the aim of this series is. Because, you know, people, people ask me pretty fr- frequently, I bet you hate preaching on money. Actually, here's the truth. I absolutely love preaching on generosity. In fact, it's one of the most enjoyable series. I've done one other series on generosity and then lots of little sermons sprinkled in. They have always proven to be the most joyful sermons that I preach for me. I love it. I don't know why preachers have a hard time. Now, I think I would understand if a preacher is trying to get you to give more money to the church then I can understand how uncomfortable that would make them feel. So let me tell you what the aim of this series is. It's really not to give more money to Cornerstone. Although if that happens, which I expect, actually it might, that's fine. That's a residual effect of the series. The aim of the series is this, is that the power of the gospel would unleash in our hearts a spirit of generosity that would open our hands to the kingdom of God and to the poor and the needy around us. That we would just simply see ourselves as conduits for those who are in need. That's really the aim of this series. That we would see all of our possessions and all of our monies. That would be our house, our cars, our hobbies, our uh, money, our savings, our clothes, our food. Everything. As being actually gods. We're just stewards of it. And the moment you begin to understand that, and it opens your fingers to the poor and the needy in the kingdom of God, you will have more joy in your life than you have ever thought you could have. And that is the aim of this particular message. We're going to talk about the joy of generosity. Let me tell you what C.S. Lewis insightfully said. He said on the subject of sacrificial giving, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. In other words, I don't think you could put a percentage on it. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Now, if you're really truly hearing that and listening to that, you, you probably are going to get, even now, a little bit uncomfortable. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries amusements etc is up to the standard if we spend on those as much as the common person of the world that has the same income as our own we're probably giving away too little if you can spend that much on vacations and on possessions you're probably giving away too little he says if our charities do not at all pinch Or hamper us I should say they are too small there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them Wow talk about right out of the gate well let me ask you a question then let's get you thinking it's only you and God right now so you don't need to respond To me so you can be utterly honest are there things in your life that you cannot do you cannot buy because you're giving so much money away that it's making it impossible we're about to see one man's generosity put a pinch on his lifestyle and it stirred a nation To give. Can you stand with me? We're going to read 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read about King David of Israel. 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 9. And it goes like this And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of the gold, the silver, let me kind of abbreviate. The silver for the silver, the bronze for the bronze, the iron for the iron, the wood for the wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the, house, the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, Of gold and silver and because of my devotion to the house of my God I give it to the house of my God 3,000 talents of gold and the gold of Ophir 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen gold for the things of gold silver for the things of silver who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord and now you find out who he's speaking to. Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jeiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. You may be seated. All right, I have three points for us, and they all begin with joyful generosity. The first is this, joyful generosity is purposeful. Now, can you get back into your Bibles for a moment? You know by now that we're a church that will only preach the word of God, and here's what the word of God says again in verse one. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen is young and inexperienced, and the work is great for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God, verse two, so I have provided for the house." of my God. So here's what's going on. David is the king of Israel, and he wanted to build a house for God. He had built his own home, but God did not have a home. He had a tabernacle. It was a tent. He wanted to build a structure, a permanent structure for God, a temple called here a palace for God, but God would not let him God said, no, David, you cannot build it. We find out in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 why. He said to to David, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You see, God's house is to be a house of peace, which, interestingly, his son, David's son, Solomon, would build it, and there was never one single war in all the days of Solomon, so God says, it won't be you, David, because you have shed so much blood before me on earth. It's not that David was a, a uh, blood-mongering warrior. It's that he had to subdue the people around him. It's not like God was mad at David. David did what God wanted him to do, but his house was to be a house of peace. Yet David's zeal, his passion... To build a temple for God, a house for God consumed him. So he pivoted. And we read it in verse 5 of chapter 22, 1 Chronicles. The house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. So here's what he did, and here's how he pivoted. I will therefore make preparation for it. If I can't build it then I'm going to resource it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. He wanted to build the temple of the Lord. God said, no, you will not do it. Your son Solomon will, but Solomon was inexperienced. So David spent the rest of his life stockpiling great wealth that would all go to the temple of God. But I need to help you understand something about David because you won't understand the end of this sermon if you don't get this. Well, first of all, David, did you know, is the most frequently mentioned person in the Old Testament. He's the second most frequently mentioned person in the entire Bible. Of course, the most frequent is Jesus. And even with all of the flaws that David had, I mean, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. For a little while, he put more confidence in his fighting men than the God of the Lord of hosts. So even with all of his flaws, the Bible twice describes him, once to Samuel and once in Acts, as as David being a man after God's own heart. What does that actually mean? It means that David sought to do the full and whole will of God. He was anointed by God to save and rule his people. Now, here's the important part. And he was a foreshadowing of the Messiah who would come a thousand years later. David was a type of the Messiah. The Messiah would be perfect. The Messiah is Jesus. David being imperfect is a type. And every type in the Bible, every representative in the Bible points forward to that which is greater than itself. So David points forward to the Messiah who will be infinitely greater than him. But I want you to catch this. David had a great zeal for the house of God. Later, the disciples would say about Jesus, zeal for your house will consume me. Do you not remember, friends, that Jesus cleansed the temple twice? Not once. Once at the beginning of his public ministry. You can read about that in John. And once at the end of his public ministry, just a few days before he was crucified, he drove out both times the money changers, the money lenders, those who were making exorbitant prices off of the sheep and the goats for the sacrifice. He said, my house, my father's house will be a house of prayer. He had a zeal for God's house. Well, so did David. It burned in his heart and he opened wide his hands and generosity. So let me ask you a question before I begin to really dig into this. Again, you can be utterly honest because you're not going to have to raise your hand. You're not going to have to come down forward. Just right there where you are between you and God. Do not even look. You don't need to if you don't want to. You don't even need to look at your spouse. But here's what I'm asking you to think on, honestly. Is there a great desire in your own heart To give generously toward the work of the kingdom of God. Let me help you just a little bit. The house of God that David wanted to build is the kingdom of God that we want to build today. Our church, Cornerstone, is the kingdom of God made visible, but the kingdom of God is much, much greater than this little local church. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of King Jesus on earth. John Calvin said, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. When you give to the poor and the needy, you are making the kingdom of Jesus visible. You're showing people what it looks like, that there won't be any poor among us, that's the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is fully here there will not be poor and needy people ministries that operate in the name of christ all over the world feeding the poor providing clothes for children helping victims of disasters who are sharing the gospel of the kingdom to non-believers these are all and many many more ways that god is making his kingdom visible through generous christians You see, generous open hands make the kingdom of God visible. And let me prove that to you from the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is one of the great scenes at the end of time. For I was hungry, Jesus said, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So when you go into a prison, To share hope of Jesus with prisoners. You're making the kingdom of God visible. And it's as if you are doing this to Jesus himself. It is for that reason, friends. That Denise and I a long time ago made a decision with our finances and our possessions. We will only give towards those initiatives that make the kingdom of God visible. We give to this church first and mostly. And on top of that, we support missionaries, we support ministries, and we give as the Lord leads to those in need around us, sometimes with money, sometimes with meals, sometimes inviting people to come in and live for a while with us, we give. And because we give generously, listen, we can't afford extravagant vacations. We do not own a luxurious home and we have zero regrets. Do you know that my wife and our whole marriage, we've done this. Not once has Denise ever said to me, not once, I wish we could get a nicer home. I wish we could go on better vacations." She's never, ever said that. We're praying for God to help us give even more generously, not only for the needs of others and the furtherance of God's kingdom, but to wage war against our own flesh that loves this world and the things of this world. We want, like David, a single-minded love for God's house, both for this church and for his kingdom. But we're about to see just how great David's love really was for God's house. Point number two. Joyful generosity is sacrificial. So I have provided, verse 2 from our passage, so I have provided for the house of my God. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, your own Bibles, remember, if you're using a pew Bible, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So if I provided for the house of my God, I'd encourage you to underline the next six words. So far as I was able. I'd really encourage you to underline that. He provided the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, bronze for bronze, iron for iron, wood for wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting antimony, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and, more, and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own. So here's what we're seeing. First of all, he dipped deeply into the treasury of Israel. And we're going to find out what that was in chapter 22 in a moment. And then he dipped deeply into his own personal account. He gave a large sum of money from both the treasury of Israel and from his own account And this one in verse 29 or chapter 29 is his own account. The one in chapter 22 that we're about to look at was from the treasury of Israel. Look what it says. First Chronicles 22 verse 14 with great pains, with great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord. And then he says exactly how much he took out of the treasury. 100,000 talents of gold. Listen, with great pains means he emptied the treasure box. A million talents of silver, bronze, iron beyond weighing, timber, stone. All of these he provided. And to these you must add. Verse 14. Well, how many of you brought a talent, an Old Testament talent of gold to church with you? All right, seeing none, let me explain then. Well, what, how much what did he really give in today's prices? Let me put all of this in today's prices. Are you ready to have your mind blown? One talent equaled 75 pounds. 75 pounds is one thousand two hundred ounces. Two weeks ago on a Wednesday when I studied for this and prepared, the price of gold was $2,028 per ounce. So here we go. 100,000 talents of gold is 120 million ounces. And in today's price, this was $243,360,000,000. Silver two weeks ago was twenty three dollars and fourteen cents per ounce one million talents. That's one billion two hundred million ounces and today's prices that's twenty seven billion seven hundred and sixty eight million dollars. Let me put both of those together. They totaled two hundred and seventy one billion one hundred and twenty eight million dollars in today's prices. He exhausted the treasury of Israel with great pains for what the house of God and your mind think the kingdom of God Well, let's look at the second gift. This one's from our own passage in chapter 29. Now he dips personally, takes out his own holdings, goes into his own bank account, and he takes out 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver. That's 3,000 talents of gold. That's $7,300,800,000. 7,000 talents of silver. It's 194,300,000. Two hundred seventy-six thousand dollars You add them together, it's $7 billion. It's almost $7.5 billion. Let me make it easy. It's his personal gift to the house of God. If you take the first one from chapter 22, the second one, the personal one from chapter 29, David redirected both Israel's and his own money to the tune of $280 billion, all so that the house of God would be so famous, so glorious, that people from around the world would travel to see how great Yahweh was. With great pains, he gave these amounts so far as he was able. Well, let's get personal. Let's be brave. Listen, I really do understand that I'm tampering with, I think, what is the biggest idol of the modern Christian. I get it. But let's be brave, Cornerstone, and ask ourselves right now, are we giving of our possessions and our monies to the kingdom of God and to the poor and needy as far as we are able to the point of great pain. Are you? Nothing less is pleasing to the Lord. Nothing less. You know, it's common for American Christians, us, to give out of our excess and it doesn't really reduce us so the question really is are you giving generously to the God's kingdom and to the needy to the point where you don't have an excess listen to the point where you actually have to live by faith how many of us have to live by faith when it comes to our money Missionary Paul Beals once explained that the wealthy make contributions, but the generous poor make a sacrifice. And he realized that he and his wife had never given sacrificially, even though they gave regularly. They thought they were giving sacrificially. In fact, one time they even took money out of savings to give to a special project. But giving to that project never really jeopardized the standard of their livelihood. They had the excess sitting in an account. David, I'm going to prove this to you, David lived far below his means. He never used his wealth to expand the kingdom of Israel beyond the boundaries that God has set. So many other kings tried to do it. He began no public works that would be memorials to his greatness. He had all this money, all this treasury, and he didn't build one single park with his name on it. No streets named after him. No bricks that had his name on it. In fact, he obeyed God, all of what God said, that forbade the kings of Israel from accumulating wealth for themselves. Did you know that was a law in the Bible? No king of Israel can accumulate money and possessions for themselves. David obeyed it. He's one of the only kings that obeyed it. Oh, he had a lot of wealth, but it was all stored up for the house of God. You know, creating wealth, creating wealth can be a good thing. You do it every time you earn a paycheck. You do it when you invest in stocks that have dividends that come back to you. Creating wealth can be a good thing, but listen very carefully, please. Accumulating wealth for yourself is never a good thing. It's never a good thing. So Christian, earn as much money as you can, but you and I are not to accumulate it. We are not to stockpile it beyond what we truly need for us and our families. When God gives wealth, it is to meet the needs of the one who receives it, and then through that person's generosity, meet the needs of the poor and finance the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of wealth. When God gives it, it is to be used your needs and then the needs of others. And when we give extravagantly, generously, it has a more powerful effect on community that you belong to than you will ever know. And that's my point, my final point, point number three. Joyful generosity is contagious. It's contagious. Look at verse five from chapter 29 in your own Bibles. Who then will offer willingly? All right, now I want you to hear something. David did not browbeat, he did not manipulate, he did not guilt, and neither will I ever do that. You realize I don't know how much any of you give. I've never once had access to that, I've never wanted it. You know why I wouldn't want it? It's because for some of you, I'd be tempted to be impartial because you're giving a lot. For some of you, I'd be tempted to be disrespectful because you're giving nothing. I don't want any knowledge of that. I'm never going to browbeat you, and I'm never going to tell you how much you ought to give. What I am going to do is apply the gospel to your heart as well as my own and unlock generosity so that our hands open to the kingdom of God and to the poor. That's why we have money. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself Today to the Lord, then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings. You want to know how much they gave? Look at verse seven. He gave for the service of the house of God five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, eighteen thousand talents of bronze, hundred thousand talents of iron. So how much is a derrick? A derrick was a quarter ounce. So you can easily put all of these or at least the gold and the silver in today's prices. The amount of gold that the leaders in Israel gave, spurred on by the example of David, was 18 billion 500 or 252,000 dollars. I'm sorry, 18 billion, 252 million dollars. The amount of silver they gave was two hundred and seventy seven million six hundred and eighty thousand in today's prices if you total both of them that's eighteen billion five hundred and twenty nine million six hundred and eighty thousand dollars and then you add in 1.35 million pounds of bronze and seven point five million pounds of iron plus all of these precious stones no wonder verse 9 says the people rejoice because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. You see, we're not under the Old Testament law of the tithe. The Old Testament law of the tithe, at its minimum, was 10%. You know the reality of it? You brought in all of the free will offerings and all of the three year offerings and the annual offerings, it was twenty-three percent. We're not under that. You know why? Because here's what they did then, and here here's what too many of us do now, because you're operating under the law of the tithe. You just don't know you're under the law of grace. The law of the tithe today looks like this. Okay, 10% of everything is supposed to be to the Lord. That gives us 90% to do what we want. No, it doesn't. The law of grace is 100% of it is God's. And every bit of that that he gives to you, he is entrusting to open hands whose generous hearts have kept open so that he can direct it where he wants. It will certainly be to meet your needs and those of your family. But beyond that, it's for the kingdom of God and for the poor and the needy around. And if God says, hey, that's my money in your hand and I'm gonna redirect it, our American pragmatism is to close our grip on that and say, no, possessively, that's mine. And God says, pry open your fingers, it's mine. Do you hoard? Be honest. That's a closed grip. Do you have anxiety over your financial future? That's a closed grip. Do you have so many clothes in your closet that you struggle to get your hanger back in? That's a closed grip. Do you have things, food items in the back of your cupboards that have been there for five years because you got so much you forgot it was there? That's a closed grip grip do you have more shoes than you knowingly will ever wear that's a closed grip and what God is doing to you and what he is doing to me and to every one of his Christians is to unleash the gospel in our hearts so that we want to open our fingers and give freely willfully cheerfully to those in need all around us that's his aim and let me tell you what happens when we obey. Look at the final verse in our passage. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now you remember what I told you that David is just a representation of Jesus. You know what the gospel here is? The gospel is that the king of all kings rejoices greatly when his people love him so much, trust him so much, that they open their hands and give to his kingdom and to the poor and the needy all around. Jesus rejoices greatly when you are generous. I'm gonna tell you right now from my own experience, you are not going to experience more joy than anywhere in life, other than the salvation of a non-believer, than the joy you will get when you are generous. Because a generous heart is one that does not run after this world and the things of the world, that has put their heart and their trust in God and their love in God and opens their hands to his kingdom and to the poor and the needy. You will have exceeding joy. Father, I pray for us, me included, me included. I pray for us, Lord, that we would have generous hearts and open hands, that we would truly, even in our mind's eye, but when we go home, we would start seeing things around our home that we are stockpiling that we are noticing how often we're watching our stocks and investments, that we would know, that we would understand how much confidence and peace that we are gaining from having money in retirement. That money can disappear in a flash. 2008 showed us those stocks can tank in a moment those possessions only give a brief blip of happiness. They cannot give joy. What can give joy is loving you and trusting you and opening our fingers to your kingdom and to the poor and the needy and to begin to be generous. That's the path of true joy. May we be a church filled with generous people of God and make your kingdom visible here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.